Hey everyone, this is AJ Holloway with the Timothy Project. Uh, this is a unified endeavor between Taylor Fairbanks, uh, who hosts Timothy's Table. Together, he and I are under the banner of the Timothy Network, and we are striving to empower and challenge multiple generations. We chose to join together in this effort as a way of showing young men and women that you can occupy digital space while still being in unity. Now, in the last conversation we had on the Timothy Project, we discussed the garden in Genesis and how Adam and Eve were tasked with managing the parcel of land given to them. They only occupied the eastern portion of the garden called Eden, and due to a failure to manage what was given, they essentially lost territory. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I recommend you go back and just spend an hour listening to that before uh, tackling this one. But in that podcast, we mentioned that this particular episode we would be discussing relationships. However, after praying about it and looking over the content, I feel it best that we save that conversation for uh, last. So with that being said, in this episode, I am going to discuss managing the kingdom to gain territory. I'm going to be discussing more spiritual principles, uh, how to pray, different things like that. So buckle up, grab your Bible, and let's go after it. Hey everyone, I want to apologize uh, as we have skipped a couple of dates, Taylor and I, on our regular schedule of this podcast. Uh, He has been on a missions trip and I and my wife have been traveling quite a bit, uh, evangelizing, so finally had an opportunity to sit down and record this podcast. Uh, With that being said, I'm actually going to be recording this by myself tonight. Uh, My wife is resting right now, so I'm just going to be discussing a few things in this podcast. So I'm going to get after it right now. Uh, One of the major things that we need to understand of a kingdom is the uh, concept of gaining territory. God in Genesis was establishing Adam and Eve and giving them a parcel of land, uh, basically their home, and having them manage that. But the commission to them was to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, That was kingdom expansion people that were carrying his glory uh, as they would expand out and cover the earth that would be his glory covering the earth and that was management he wanted someone bearing his image everywhere uh, they went and that was uh, that was the original command and as you read you'll see that Adam and Eve when they uh, were tempted by the serpent and they fell that uh, interrupted this kingdom expansion then we see their their children, Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain, you know, kills his brother Abel, and then we see that kingdom expansion is locked up yet again. And God is telling him a commandment there. He's telling Cain, he says that don't you know that sin crouches at the door? Its desire is to have you. You must have dominion over it. Uh, he's telling him to manage uh, the sin that is after him because of expansion he's wanting to have his glory cover the earth and you go through the rest of the narrative and you you can see this subtle heartbeat of god where he's trying to find someone who will represent him well who will manage themselves manage their home and expand his kingdom and show his glory and then we end up with abraham after quite a bit of narrative in genesis and God is looking at him, and he's found someone who will represent him well, who will manage himself, who, who has shown himself trustworthy by management. 
And God makes a promise with Abraham in Genesis 15 and tells him that his descendants will be so numerous that they'll be like the stars in the sky. Uh, that's it. It's expanding. It's kingdom expansion. And then, as you know, we go through the rest of the narrative and we see different key characters coming up. And this, this concept of management is all throughout uh, the narrative. And it ends up as the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. And God sends them uh, their redeemer, Moses. And Moses is you know, following the will of God. He's managing himself, all of these things. And you can see this repeating pattern throughout the story of Moses. But ultimately brings them out of, out of captivity. They go through the wilderness. Uh, they, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then they come to this crescendo, this point of going farther into the kingdom. And it's uh, into the promised land, into Canaan. And right here, we get to the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm going to go through a little bit of this because the entire uh, book of Deuteronomy, Moses is telling Joshua and Israel basically how to manage the promised land, this new territory that they're going to step into. Uh, they're going farther into the kingdom and Moses, like I said, is spending time telling them what they need to do to manage themselves when they get there. And I'm just going to hit some of these key things and you can grab your Bible and you can follow along with me or one of your favorite Bible apps. But Deuteronomy 10, 19, Moses tells them, love the sojourner. Therefore, you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. He tells them, he says, one of the first things you need to do is you need to uh, manage yourself in loving foreigners. And quite honestly, this is something that we need to learn today. This is a, a management uh, command that's given. Very next chapter, Deuteronomy 11, verse 10, it says, For the land that you are entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you're going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven. And this is interesting right here, verse 12. A land that the Lord your God cares for himself. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. The wording right here pulls from Genesis and it's pointing to Canaan as if, as if it were a land like Eden. A place that God himself has looked at. His eyes are on it. He's watering it. He prepared for them a place, a new territory. And this is intriguing because you will read in uh, Exodus that people came from the land of Canaan to get grain uh, when Joseph was in management, not in Exodus, but rather in Genesis. When Joseph was in management, they came, there came people from Canaan to Joseph to get grain and food because there was a famine in the land. And now we're seeing a, a complete different narrative right here. Basically, whatever God sets his eyes on, and whatever he pays attention to, even though it was formerly barren, now it's a, a land flowing with milk and honey. Because when God gets involved, things just change. And we're seeing in De Deuteronomy this repeat of the garden. This is this new territory. This is new, uh, a new place that the Israelites are going to that was designed for them by God. His very eyes were on it and he watered this place and turned it into a new garden. It's brand new territory for them. Going a little further into Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 19, Moses tells him, Take care that you do not neglect the Levite as long as you live in your land. 
He's telling him, he said, you know, the Lord's going to establish over you people that are going to go to God on your behalf. And this is just, uh, this is interesting for those Bible nerds that kind of read what is the difference between a priest and a prophet. Well, a prophet brings the voice of God from God to the people, and a priest would bring the voice of the people to God. And a uh, few times in Israel did they have someone who was a priest and a prophet, such as Moses. But right here, he's telling them, when you get over to this promised land, don't neglect the spiritual leader. Uh, when you get all your promises, don't neglect that person in your life. And this we can easily apply to ourselves today. Whenever you're blessed, don't forget the man of God who's in your life. Don't forget about the church. Uh, it's, it's interesting that he would tell them this because Moses you know, was intimate with the story of Genesis. And he, know, he, he would have realized that it was the very trees that Adam and Eve were hiding behind when the voice of God came looking for them in the garden. They were hiding behind their blessings from their priest, their high priest, God in the garden. And Moses is telling them, when you get to this new place, this new Eden, don't do that again. Manage yourselves. Don't forget the spiritual people in your life when you get all your promises. Next chapter, Deuteronomy 13, says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God was going to allow, and Moses was telling them, God will allow false ministers, false preaching in your life. He's not going to stop them. He's doing this to test you, to see if you'll still follow what you know is right. This was a test of management. God is looking constantly for people that he can trust. In fact, if you listen to the podcast with Brother Nathan Herod on the Timothy's table, he says something powerful towards the end of his podcast. He's talking about the gifts of faith and seeing miracles. He said that God is looking for people that he can trust. And God can trust us when we learn how to manage ourselves. So if you look at Deuteronomy, it's, it's basically the constitution of a new kingdom. This is their set of laws. Uh, this is laws were not binding. They were actually going to give them liberty because if they followed Deuteronomy in this new kingdom, then they would have access to everything that God had. Um, and I'll pause right here before going any further in Deuteronomy. This is a practical application to you and I today. We, we tend to look at uh, things in the church and, you know, I've heard people call uh, different standards, different things that we do binding. And that's just simply not true biblically. The things that we do, or may I say don't do, they actually give us liberty. Uh, they give us access to things in the spirit. They give us uh, access to things uh, in our relationship with God. They're, they're just simply management. That The word of God is not binding, and the things that it commands of us is not a binding uh, thing. What it is, is it's giving us liberty. It's our constitution. It's, it's what we do. It's what we abide by. And Moses is giving the Israelites a constitution as they're going into this new kingdom. 
So moving on a little farther into this, Deuteronomy 14, 27 says, And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out the, all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. These uh, theologians call these the, for, the quartet of the vulnerables. That's the sojourner, the foreigner, uh, the fatherless, the widow, and the Levites. These were people who could not cultivate uh, food for themselves. They were, they were vulnerable within this kingdom. The Levites, you, if, when you read the Bible, you understand that all 11 tribes got a parcel of land where they can plant crops and grow their own food. They were taken care of by the land given to them. But the Levites didn't get land because God told Moses, he says to the Levites, my, my presence is their inheritance. So that left them vulnerable within the society. So God established a tithe. He said, bring a tenth of your food to the Levites so that they'll be taken care of. But not just for the preacher, the Levites, your priest, but the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Because these are individuals in society that are are taken care of. They're, they're vulnerable and they need you to take care of them. This is all echoing back to Genesis. The reason why there was harmony between animal and mankind and the diet of man was fruit and nuts and the animals all ate grass was because there was in this society of the garden, there was no need for the death of anything else. All were taken care of. And God is trying to jumpstart that in this new kingdom. Um, and as I'm saying these things, if you are an end time buff, and you have done any study on end times, you are probably seeing the concept of the new heaven and the new earth where there's, there's no need for the death of anything because there's enough for everyone. And you will even see that in the book of Acts as they sold and gave to one another and had all things common. You're starting to see that echo of the new kingdom. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself right now. I, just, I get a little excited when, I, when you start seeing all the patterns throughout the Bible. But God was very passionate to tell Moses to let the people know part of the constitution of this new kingdom and the way to manage yourself in it is to take care of people that are vulnerable. Um, I, I got a lot of content to go through, but I hope that your mind is racing to your context of today and you're thinking of yourself right now and how you can manage taking care of people that are vulnerable within your your social context, uh, even your family or your church. Um, I might explode that out a little more in another podcast and just really break down Deuteronomy 14 and spend some time on that because it's a fantastic topic. But let's, let's move on right now. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7 says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need. Whatever it may be, take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your brother and you give him nothing and he cried to the Lord against you. You will be guilty of sin. They sold all things and had it all common. Uh, we, we can, like I said, we tie this into the new covenant and he's repeating himself and he's saying, make sure you take 
care of the vulnerable people amongst you. If you read into Deuteronomy, you will see that Moses told him, he said, don't trim the corners of your, your crops. Leave that for the poor, the widow, the, the, the orphan, um, the foreigner amongst you. Leave that for them. Basically, he's telling them, give from your excess is essentially what he's telling them. How much grain do you need to be taken care of? Anything you have excess, give that. Um, a practical application, my wife and I, we know what it takes to survive with our bills. We know what it takes for gas as evangelists. We know what we need for food. And this year, we have been really striving to to bless other people. Uh, and we're, we're choosing to give, though, from our excess. Whatever we have that is left over, um, do we really need to spoil ourselves? Or is that extra... Could it be used to bless someone else, a missionary, uh, someone uh, we have? We have people in our church, elderly ladies that their husbands have passed away. They're now widows and they don't have a lot of money and they don't have the skill set to fix things around their house. Uh, it don't always have to be monetary, but if you have a skill set where you can help somebody who is vulnerable amongst you, use that. Uh, if you have extra time, don't fill it up with. Uh, watching 15 YouTube videos, you know, take that time and give from your excess time and go bless somebody and help someone who is vulnerable. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Deuteronomy 17, 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among, basically, you don't get a vote. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself. And Pay attention to this because you're going to see where Solomon fell down. Uh, basically because he didn't read Deuteronomy. Verse 16, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excess of silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, Deuteronomy, he's speaking of Deuteronomy here, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from this commandment either to the right or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom he and his children in Israel basically Solomon broke every one of these rules in our modern context we are a nation of kings and priests all of us are a royal priesthood and this applies even to us today. He said, basically, don't have excess. There's no need for it. Don't acquire for yourself excessive silver and gold is what it says. And when you sit on the throne of your kingdom, you need to be a Bible nerd. You need to be very well versed in this book. And here's the reason why, because it'll prevent you from turning aside either to the right or to the left. And you, when you do this, if you can manage uh, your Bible time and being a, a Bible nerd and reading it and studying it and doing everything you can, listening to podcasts and elders, whatever it may be, 
when that happens, you will continue long in the kingdom. This was this was told uh, to them. He says, follow this this constitution. I'm going to set you up. Moses is telling them to keep the kingdom. So moving on, Deuteronomy 18, the Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. This is why they were vulnerable. They did not have any land to plant their own crops. The presence of God was their inheritance. You and I, as a royal priesthood, we must not strive to keep up with the Joneses. Our inheritance in, under the new covenant is the presence of God. This is our inheritance. We are not in the kingdom as the church in 2019. We are not trying to keep up with everybody else. We're not trying to outgrow somebody else's church. We're not trying to be more spiritual than someone else. Uh, in a more carnal sense, we're not trying to have a bigger house, a nicer car. Our inheritance under the new covenant is the presence of God. That is what you and I guard. That is what you and I are passionate about. This is why we follow this constitution of the Bible. And Deuteronomy is echoing all of the new covenant. In fact, I tell people quite a bit, Paul would have been a scholar of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And many theologians actually believe he more than likely had all the five first five books of the Bible committed to memory. And when you read Romans, you're seeing Deuteronomy echoing throughout it. You're, you're seeing what his, um, his heartbeat was, what he was well-versed in. And you are going to have a bit of a hard time, honestly, understanding quite a few of the principles of the epistles. If you don't have a, an elementary grasp of the Old Testament, uh, it's, it's very important because that's what he's referencing from. And I'm not telling you you can't understand it at all, but there are going to be a lot of concepts in the epistles of Paul. And even, honestly, a lot of the words of Jesus because he's referencing the Old Testament as well. And you're just you're gonna have a little bit of a hard time. You're gonna be limping, and your your brain is gonna be filling in the gaps with American concepts and uh, different social mores that you have been surrounded by, and will misinterpret a lot of scripture. Uh, we got to understand that they were referencing these scriptures right here. Uh, moving on, Deuteronomy nineteen fourteen, you shall not move your neighbor's landmark which the men of old have set in the inheritance that you will hold in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Moving the landmark uh, or boundary stone of a neighbor is tantamount to theft of the land. Uh, what you would do, what they was doing is if they moved his landmark, they were inch by inch stealing his territory that was given to him. You and I have to be very careful that we not move landmarks of land obtained by former generations. If our elders, and I'm not telling, I'm not saying this that our elders were perfect, uh, but I believe that they they set some things, they set some boundaries, and they established some landmarks. And I can say one thing about our elders because I've spent a lot of time talking with them, and I want to be a bridge. That's been my heartbeat, and I feel like my calling is to stand between two generations. I spent a lot of time talking with um, millennials, uh, Gen Z, different ones. Uh, amongst the younger generation as well as elders and i hear both sides and i see great value on on both ends of the spectrum 
And I'm trying to be a bridge between both generations. I tell elders, you know, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for what you fought for. But don't worry about the future. Keep praying for us. But I feel like the future is secure because I feel like there's a powerful generation that's coming up. And I tell the younger generation, you are brilliant. You are anointed. You are called by God. You've been placed in this generation because God has trusted you. He could have put you in the 30s or the 40s if he wanted. But he put you here because he obviously trusts you. But... Don't move the landmarks. Uh, there are some things that you know I can I can kind of see that we're moving, and I won't go into all that. But there are some established landmarks that got us here. Uh, don't move the land because it's stealing the land. We're losing land at that point. What our elders have brought uh, brought us to. Let's continue to take that farther. Uh, if they built a house of prayer, then we don't move that house. If they built a house of consecration. We don't move that house. We don't move that land. All of this, and you can read through Deuteronomy. I'm I'm hitting the, the mountaintops here. There's so much in the book of Deuteronomy. It's a really amazing book. But when you read it from the, the concept of management, you'll begin to see these, these key things that Moses is telling the people because he wants them to take more territory. Not only to take it, but to establish it, build kingdoms there, and expand it to spread God's glory across this new land. Uh, the sermon by Moses on management led to Joshua directing the people into new territory. Right after this, he passes the mantle to a younger generation, Joshua. Joshua was uh, anointed by the people, was anointed by God, and was trusted to continue on this management that Moses had embarked upon. And then you know the story. If you don't, uh, that's okay. But Moses then passes away and God himself picks up an aged, wise manager and buries him himself. Powerful, just beautiful illustration, beautiful story there of God burying a man himself. But from here, we're seeing that Joshua is now leading the Israelites into this new territory. They cross through the Jordan and the first thing they do is they set up landmarks, landmarks that were not to be removed. Um, this was a beautiful illustration uh, living out what their constitution in Deuteronomy 19 was telling them to do. They set up stones in the middle of a river and uh, just really interesting little tidbit here for any of you young preachers and you ever want to preach on this, go ahead. But why would you put stones as a landmark in a river when you're not going to see them? Well, they were set there because there would be a drought uh, once a year. And when the water receded, you would see that God still promised them their land. So even in dry times, is basically what's saying here, in dry times, you've got to have landmarks. Uh, in a practical sense, I recommend getting a journal and writing down all the things God has done for you. Those are landmarks. Write down the voice of God in your life, the promises, a prophetic word, a sermon, whatever it was that God impressed on you and led you to a new season write those things down because there will be dry seasons in your life and you can go back and you can look at those stones or those words that you wrote down on paper and see that god still is who he said he was but then they set up some stones on the shores there and this was to be a memorial to generations that are coming of what god did for israel but Moving on into this, we're seeing that 
Joshua is commissioned to lead the people into gaining territory in this new land. And um, we see in Joshua 6, very, very familiar piece of scripture here that a lot of people know. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Joshua 6, and I'm going to jump to verse 3. It tells him, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Jumping down to verse 16, it says, And at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 17, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted. Now this is important. Watch this part. The city and all that is within it, it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things that are devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. Those things shall go into the treasury of the Lord. What's going on here is they're about to take some of some territory, uh, literally. And I'm, I'm telling all of this because I want to show you the literal in the Old Testament because we're going to talk about the spiritual in the New, the New Testament. But they march uh, 13 times. It's a lot of work. They war. They fight. Uh, they're in battle, spending themselves in energy and resources. All of that for nothing. Because the command was, everything in the city shall be devoted to destruction. And the gold and silver and every vessel of bronze and iron, those are holy to the Lord and they're going to go into the treasury of God. Basically, God told Israel, he says, you're going to do a lot of work and you're going to get nothing for it. Zero. This is a little bit hard to swallow. That would be like in our modern context. uh, Pray. Go into an all-night prayer meeting with no promise of ever seeing anything because of it. Or, uh, a little bit more practical than that, working for a boss for 13 days straight. And spending, or let's not say 13 days, 13 hours, working a 13-hour shift. And then at the end of that 13-hour shift, the boss said, hey, don't have any money to pay you. Thanks for devoting your time. We would be a little upset about that. And there was, in fact, in Joshua, somebody who was a little upset about that. Because Joshua 7, verse 10 says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah and the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. I'm going to stop right here before going to verse 11. This guy, don't know his motive. The Bible doesn't tell us that. We just know that he was potentially a little uh, miffed about doing all of this work and not getting anything in return for it. Uh, There's some very key things that I'm going to pull out of scripture right here. But the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel because they did not manage what was told to them. The, The word of God was don't take anything. They took some things for themselves 
And now the Lord's frustrated with them about it. Verse 11, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have, they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. They haven't managed, basically. Verse 12, therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Verse 13, get up, watch this, consecrate the people. That's very, very important right there. God is giving them an opportunity to repent, but to separate themselves from what they did. They lost the presence of God because of a lack of managing a commandment. Now, jump down to verse 20. It says, And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. He repents. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, that was one of the items that was to be devoted to destruction, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, that was the thing that was devoted to God. He took one thing that was devoted to destruction, and he took two things that were devoted to God. Now look at his words. Then I coveted them and took them. And look, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. The same Hebrew word here for coveted is the same Hebrew word used in Genesis 3-6 when Eve desired the tree. Right here we're seeing it all over again. The author of Joshua is showing us clearly. They're saying, hey guys, I'm put, I've put this Hebrew word here specifically to show you. This is Genesis all over again. We're seeing it. It's happening all over again. Every level of kingdom expansion will always be preceded by a temptation. Write that down. Commit it to memory. If you are wanting to go farther into the kingdom spiritually, if you are pursuing uh, faith, if you are pursuing any level of, of the kingdom and you're wanting to take more territory through prayer and fasting, there will always be a temptation. That's just, that is the facts. That is always going to be there. There's, there's an old saying, new levels equal new devils. And it's so cliche, but it is true. There's going to be a temptation for every level of the kingdom that you're going to. Don't be ignorant to the devil's devices, uh, as Paul tells us. Know that when you're pushing and you're going, you're striving for another uh, level, you're trying to expand the kingdom, when I'm saying kingdom, I'm talking about your individual life. Each of us represent an individual kingdom, and together we represent a corporate kingdom of the church. But as you are striving to be a better version of yourself, you are trying to expand your personal kingdom, trying to have more faith, trying to let go of, of some past mistakes, and you're trying to move farther into your personal kingdom, there's always going to be a temptation. That's just how it's going to be. Achan took what was devoted to destruction and what was devoted to God. We see that uh, he hides these things in his tent. And Israel, and under the leadership of Joshua, they go farther into the kingdom. They're trying to get more territory, uh, physically, literally. So they come to the city of Ai, and they send out a thousand men to the city of Ai. And 36 of them immediately are killed. And they come running back, and they're just... They're totally confused. They don't understand why didn't we get a victory? Why did we come this far? We've only obtained, you know, just a small portion of this new kingdom. We haven't expanded this territory very far. 
why are we losing now? And Joshua goes into prayer and finds out about Achan and discovers that he had stolen what was devoted to destruction and what was devoted unto God. And then we get to uh, the hinder parts of Joshua 7, verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones. This is a memorial that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Uh I know this sounds very brutal, but this is all showing us the literal. This is spiritual in the new covenant. Uh, basically, when you when you make a mistake in your life and you're trying to obtain more territory and you feel like hitting a wall, first thing you need to do is look at the hidden places of your life. Have you taken something that is devoted to God and that was devoted to be devoted to destruction? Is there still something in your life that you should have killed that is still living? Um I'll talk a little bit more practical about that in this, this podcast, but this was the old Testament is very much showing us all the literal and the new Testament is showing us the uh, spiritual. And this is a literal concept of a spiritual reality that you and I live in today. Thankfully, if we sin, we don't have to be taken out and stoned and someone pile up all the stones on top of us as a memorial. But right here, they build an altar over Aachen and when people look at it they know manage your private life don't hide anything because it could cost you obtaining more territory in the kingdom but you'll notice that right here they could not go any farther in the kingdom until they went back to the original command and they made it right thus they did then we see very next chapter chapter 8 watch what unfolds when Joshua managed not only himself, but his leadership position, he, the Bible says in chapter 8, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Watch this. Only now its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. When I read this and I was thinking about this podcast and the series of conversations, the second I read that, God immediately spoke to me. And he told me, he said, Aaron, he said, I wanted to see how Israel would manage my stuff at Jericho. Because that would determine how much of their stuff I could give them at the city of Ai. They not only got all of the spoils, but they also got more inheritance, uh, more kingdom expansion. They showed them themselves as wise managers. Joshua did the hard stuff of killing the flesh, taking care of a thief in their camp he did the hard things that needed to have been done in order to obtain more 
of this kingdom war uh, expansion and they went farther into the kingdom this is such a, a very profound illustration to you and I and uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about that under the new covenant and then I want to wrap this all together and make it uh, practical as I can shows me literally uh, what to do and what it looks like literally because you and I you know this is all they're fighting literal with swords and spears but you and I don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against spiritual wickedness and principalities that's what you and I are warring against so this shows us here in Joshua in Deuteronomy what we can expect to achieve in the spirit if we would just manage ourselves so now let's look at some things in the new testament uh fast forward to the gospels the first thing that we see jesus doing is he manages himself before he ever goes and calls 12 disciples and calls them to preach the gospel of baptism and repentance he first finds a guy who is preaching repentance and Jesus asks him to baptize him. And I believe Jesus was doing this for multiple reasons. There's so much to be packed into those scriptures. And at some point in the future, I would like to unpack that a bit more uh, to help somebody with oneness and all of that through those scriptures because it's a very misunderstood portion of scripture. But uh, sticking to the theme of this podcast, Jesus was doing uh, all of this because he would never ask anybody to live and preach something he did not first do himself. Why did a man who was not living in sin, there was no sin found in him, why did a man ask to be baptized? And that's, like I said, I can unpack that later in a future episode. But Jesus would never ask the disciples to live and preach something he did not live and preach himself. Right after that, uh, the John uh, really shows us a lot of cool stuff because the Bible says that immediately after his baptism, the spirit thrust him towards the east, which is really intriguing because after Adam and Eve was evicted from the garden, uh, they the Bible says that they were cast out towards the east. And then Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Basically, what Jesus is doing in himself is he is correcting and fixing and managing everything throughout the Old Testament that fallible man could not manage on his own. And Jesus was obtaining spiritual territory for me and you. He went through the wilderness and he overcame every manner of temptation in the wilderness he was tempted by lucifer he was slandered he was he was wore out he was weary yet without sin he was obtaining spiritual territory he was doing that for us there was there's uh something that needs to be understood here jesus is the one who conquered all the territory that could be conquered he did it in and of himself now jesus is doing all of this 
before being glorified. So Jesus did this as a man. That's that's powerful. And I believe Jesus wanted us to see what we could do as people uh, filled with his spirit. But don't ever get a big head. Don't ever get arrogant and think you're something special because of your your consecration, your fasting, the spiritual uh, levels and inheritance that you have obtained, the miracles you've seen, the people filled with the Holy Ghost, the ministry that God has given you. All you're doing is partaking in land that God has already purchased. Jesus purchased all of it for us. He was obtaining all of it in the wilderness. Everything that you and I could ever overcome, we overcome it by the blood of the Lamb. That's why Revelations tells us that and the word of our testimony. Jesus obtained the land. He did it as a man and he showed us. He said, this is what you can do when my spirit lives in you. So you and I will never be in a, in a position of arrogance or pride because all of this land that we have obtained spiritually, it's because someone pioneered it already, Jesus Christ. But Jesus is obtaining spiritual territory for us in the wilderness. He's overcoming every manner of temptation. He's doing this because when he dies on the cross, he atones our sins and he sends his spirit to us. We then, through him, will have the power to live above sin. Every manner of temptation that hits us, we will have the uh, help and the power of his spirit because he overcame to overcome it ourselves. So you and I have access to things in the spirit. We have access to things. Uh, we can we can kill Aachen. We can kill the flesh that wants to devote for itself a kingdom here on earth. We want to store up savings uh, here on earth where you know moth and dust doth corrupt that won't happen to us because we are we are filled with the spirit and we can rise above that we can rise above those temptations and we can rise above our carnal desires and flesh and we can we can be victorious and we can obtain spiritual territory because jesus obtained it for us we then see that he begins to call the disciples. And I'll unpack that a little bit more in the third podcast, uh, Managing Influence with People, because that's part of the kingdom. But as he calls the disciples alongside him, he then begins to commission them and he begins teaching them on how to expand this kingdom, this obtaining more spiritual territory. Uh, and he begins to preach some very... Uh, very clear things in his ministry. In fact, the word kingdom is used 50 time, 55 times in the Gospel of Matthew alone. Now, that's nearly two and a half times per chapter. Jesus discussed the topic of the kingdom quite frequently. So it makes it a topic uh, worth studying. Jesus was constantly telling them about the kingdom. And we know that you know, we've often taught that uh, the kingdom has a future um, concept to it, you know, where he comes and he establishes his kingdom on earth, um, you know, as a um, end time uh, study. You'll notice that God comes and establishes his kingdom here on earth as the millennial reign, so on and so forth. But Jesus was also speaking to the kingdom as a very uh, very much a present reality too. In fact, when people asked him about the kingdom, he would look at him and say, you're looking at it. I'm the kingdom. I have brought my kingdom here. And when he even prayed in Matthew, 
he told us how to pray. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there is a very present reality of this kingdom. And we need to unpack and we need to uh, discuss what does that look like in, in the spiritual sense. You and I are not wrestling against uh, flesh and blood. You and I are wrestling principalities. Uh, we need to understand the reality of uh, the kingdom. And we need to know how to possess more of the kingdom. Expanding the kingdom. Getting farther into it. It starts on an individual basis. As we as individuals are striving to, to obtain more territory. To even get into this new kingdom, we have to cross just like Joshua did through the water. There's, there's baptism. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3 how to even enter the kingdom. Except a man be born again of water and the spirit. So we know how to get into the kingdom as, as a uh, apostolic faith preaching the apostles doctrine. We know what it looks like to come into the kingdom. Um, through certain standards and things that we have taught, believed, and preached, we, we know how to maintain the kingdom to a degree. We, there are still things we can, a lot of us can do better at. But obtaining territory is where I have been feeling most burdened uh, in prayer. There's a generation that is not, uh, I feel like there's, it's not, I'm not talking about every person, but predominantly as a whole, uh, this generation of Gen Z uh, don't totally know how to get more of the kingdom or expand the kingdom. And a lot of Gen Z, they're hitting uh, the city of I and they're not going any further because they don't know how to go to another level. We really need to take up the mantle of spirituality. We need to be okay with being a little bit more spiritual. I'm not telling you you have to be, you know, crazy weird or anything like that um and i'm not telling you you have to you know sell out your social life and all that um but there is a spiritual concept to the new testament it is very much a reality that you and i are living in we need to be more spiritual with the mindset of expanding the kingdom uh we need to we need to kill some things in our flesh we need to overcome some things in our personal wilderness before we, we go preaching, before we go trying to make disciples, we need to follow the, the pattern of Jesus. He first managed himself in a wilderness, and he first followed the kingdom concept before he ever asked anybody to follow him. Before we're trying to preach to anybody, we need to, we need to really take a long, hard look at ourselves. And we need to start, I'm not telling you need to be perfect, but... We really need to start striving with the power of the Holy Ghost to live above our own sin. We need to learn how to uh, move farther into the kingdom and expand his kingdom uh, spiritually. And when you can expand his kingdom in a spiritual sense, through prayer, through fasting, through, through intercession, expanding his kingdom uh, through souls and growing the kingdom uh, through people receiving the holy ghost that all just comes with prayer and fasting uh when we do the spiritual work the literal work falls into place i'm not telling you you 
you know, you lock yourself in a prayer room and you don't ever come out and evangelize. But if you're doing the spiritual work, the the other work of evangelizing and reaching the lost, it all just comes with the spiritual territory. We need to learn how to expand ourselves uh, into farther parts of the kingdom spiritually, though. You really need to take a step back and look at how much or how little you're really praying. Is your prayer time consisting of, oh Lord, oh God, oh Jesus, oh God, oh my God, oh Lord, oh Jesus, oh God. You know, we need to be more intentional with our prayer. We need to have a plan with prayer. You know, just like Joshua and the Israelites, they didn't go into war and just swing their swords and hope for the best. There was there was intention. They were very intentional about it. Uh, they went in and they they were trained in battle. You and I need to be trained in prayer. We need to know how to to pray. And I will. Uh, I don't know if I have enough time to talk about prayer uh, extensively in this podcast, uh, this particular episode. But I want to unpack the power of prayer a little bit more. This is something I'm very, very passionate about. Uh, we need to pray more with the intention of expanding spiritual territory. When you begin to do the work of management spiritually, and this what this looks like on a day-to-day basis is setting aside time to pray. That's management. Setting aside time throughout the week to fast is management. Being intentional with your prayer. When you go into prayer and you begin to talk with the Lord, be intentional with what you're praying about. When you do that, you begin to expand territory and you move into new territory. And what happens is the gifts of the Spirit, uh, gifts of faith, all of these things start to happen. You start becoming the person God's designed you to be through prayer and reading of the Word because the fruit is now beginning to grow. Uh, you're you're expanding your kingdom, and when you expand your individual kingdom through prayer, fasting, studying the Word of God, the literal kingdom of expanding outwardly through influence of people starts to just organically take place. Now, I want to show you something powerful that uh, that's taking place in Colossians. When we're we're understanding this kingdom expansion, we're we're starting to grasp this the spiritual side of things, and that we're we're obtaining spiritual territory through self management. It really starts to make Colossians two come more alive, and it illuminates it a little bit more. So I'm going to read Colossians two, and I'm going to start at verse six, and just go on through here, and just pull out some stuff. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's a a management uh, concept. Being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. That's what you've been told. You've managed it. Abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. There's that war. There's a spiritual war that's coming on in our, our secular society that people are trying to lock us down and keep us from going farther into spiritual territory. Uh, And they're taking us, as free people, we're taking us captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According, watch this, to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. This is all spiritual speech going on here. And not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him. Watch. Who is the head of all rule and authority. 
He's the one who obtained all this. He's the one who is king, not us. We're just uh, ambassadors in this kingdom. But he's the one who who went and obtained all of the territory for us. And we're just getting to position ourselves through management to walk in the free places he has already obtained for us. He was like Joshua who went way ahead of us and obtained all this spiritual territory for you and I. And so many of us are not walking in the free territory that's entitled to us because of what Jesus did. Now look at verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Now watch. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Look what he did on the cross, though. Verse 15 is what I really want you to look at. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. These are the kings, the, the, the spiritual wickedness, the principalities in high places. He disarmed them, those spiritual rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The KJV actually says it this way in Colossians 2.15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. When Jesus went to the cross, he triumphed. He was completely victorious. He obtained all the spiritual territory that you and I could ever need. He had obtained every parcel of land in this new kingdom under the new covenant. And what he's waiting on is people to come into it. But what were the spoils? The spoils were the gifts of the Spirit, was salvation, was the fruit of the Spirit. He obtained everything you and I need for kingdom expansion. What you and I need to do is we need to manage ourselves. And when we manage ourselves, God then begins to give us the spoils that he got freely through the cross. So what does this look like? Uh, as I said earlier, I really like what Brother Nathan Herod had to say on the podcast with Brother Fairbanks when he was discussing uh, faith and miracles. He talked about, um, you know, God is looking for someone he can trust. That's what he's doing. He's looking for people that have managed themselves. And when he finds that people have managed their private lives. They've been faithful to prayer. They've been faithful to consecration. They've separated themselves from worldly influence. When God finds those individuals, no matter the age, doesn't matter your tenure, your last name, when he finds those individuals, he finds someone he can trust, and then he starts giving them the tools, the spoils, to expand the kingdom as an individual. And we will see more activation of the gifts of the Spirit when we see wise managers amongst a generation. Um, here's, a, here's a practical. Um, my wife and I have been evangelizing full-time um, since February. And uh, I've seen God order my steps more and more this year. 
Um, and this is a this is a whole conversation. You need to pay attention to when God is ordering your steps. Be sober and be vigilant. Watch for those things. Um, but I've been very passionately pursuing God in areas of my my personal life. Um, I have this teaching that I'm doing is something that I've tried to live very passionately. And I won't discuss the things that my wife and I have, you know, set aside because I don't want anybody to, you know, try to compare themselves to me. But um, I've tried to increase my level of consecration. Um, firm believer that I will not be able to see God's glory if I'm constantly putting before my eyes things that do not agree with God's glory. Uh, it's hard to hear God's voice. Uh, it's hard to hear angels sing in your prayer time when you're filling your ears with filth constantly uh, it's hard to lay hands on people and see them healed or filled when your hands are constantly you know scrolling through things on a phone that they shouldn't be and these are all these are all individual management concepts but for myself i've just this year i've been striving to live a more consecrated holy life and i, I do plan to talk on holiness at some point, it's a lot more beautiful than you think. Holiness is, I think, the most beautiful thing you and I could ever do. Uh, it's a bride's dress. Uh, it's the bride of Christ's beautiful dress. But anyway, I've been trying to consecrate myself more, and I've been trying to obtain more spiritual territory uh, as an individual. I pray at home now because I want God's kingdom to come in my home. And uh, my wife and I want a consecrated home. We won't allow gossip in our house. Because if angels want to uh, descend in my home and discuss battle strategy for the end time, I want them to know that this house is holy and they, they can come here and I can entertain angels in my home because we have developed a negative-free, gossip-free, uh, filth-free space. Because um, I want his kingdom to come here in my house as it is in heaven. But been pursuing God more and a uh, few few months ago I uh, felt God really impressing on me deep uh, reviving intercession in my own life and uh, just kind of felt that little nudge in prayer and on drive to uh, go go minister somewhere over the weekend I was in my car driving and uh, uh, apostolic truth radio is an app I have and I was listening to some messages and wasn't even looking for sermons on prayer. I just I go through there and I just click on sermons and I just love hearing the word of God from other uh, men and women of God. And sermon came on was about intercession and prayer. Listened to it, got a lot out of it. I uh, listened to a second sermon. It was on intercession and prayer. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. I wasn't even looking for it and there it is twice. I listened to another sermon. This is all happening in one drive. Third sermon was on intercession and prayer. And I took notice of that because I was I'm noticing God was showing me something. Uh, fourth message was on intercession and prayer. Now, just to be clear, none of the titles of these messages alluded to intercession or prayer. God was just reaching me through these sermons, random sermons that wasn't even looking for four sermons in a row, all on intercession and prayer. Randomly, every one of those sermons referenced Brother Verbal Bean who was a pillar of prayer. Um, so I thought that was, that's interesting. So I wrote those things down. I took notice to it. And I started pursuing God even more on intercession and prayer. 
um, because I believe God was was drawing me to a, a, a another level of the kingdom. So I put Brother Verbal Bean's book in my uh, shopping cart on Pentecostal Publishing House, and I didn't purchase it. I just sat in my cart, and uh, the next morning I woke up and I looked on Twitter. The first tweet that showed up was Mark Brown <laughs> showed a copy of his book from Brother Verbal Bean, and it was all highlighted, and he was talking about how much that book had impacted his prayer life. And I looked at that, and this has all happened in two days, mind you. And I took that, and I said, okay, God, you're really trying to show me something here. So I bought the book. That Wednesday comes around, and Brother uh, Lacombe is preaching at our home church here in Lafayette. We had a Wednesday where we weren't preaching, so we was at our home church. And Brother Lacombe references Brother Verbal Bean's prayer life and started noticing that God has really been drawing me. So God started using me in deeper intercession and deeper prayer. And through deeper intercession and prayer, there have been things that have just unlocked in ministry for me. God has been dealing with me tremendously about faith. And I just I established a, a, uh, a prayer time. Um, and I extended that prayer time. And then I, I added more of those prayer times each day throughout the week. I just I want to pray as much as I can, and to this point, I I would, I would rather rather pray than preach, quite honestly. But there's value in in preaching. But I've I tell people I just now I'm trying to preach the way that I pray. Um, when I can feel what I feel in my prayer time in a pulpit, I know that the glory of God is is on its way into a service, and I'm just exposing to people what happens in a prayer time. But anyway, pursuing more of the kingdom, God was ordering my steps. And through all of this prayer, I started feeling God pulling me towards faith. And it all started with management, setting aside time to pray more, uh, to fast more. I'd already established uh, more consecration in my life, my, my, my wife also. And um, we both have been pursuing more of God, and we're, we're, we're trying to expand the kingdom in our own lives. We're trying to get more territory. And through prayer, as I said, God started dealing with me about faith. And uh, in prayer, and it's okay to talk to God in prayer. Uh, I'll talk about practical praying in another episode, but it's okay to just spend time talking to God and not feeling anything, just talking to God like he's in the room. It's perfectly fine. In fact, it, t- it takes more faith to do that, to just talk to a God you don't see than it does to actually start feeling something. Because when you can talk without feeling anything from God, that's real faith. And I was just talking to God in prayer, and I was just like, you know, God, I said it would really, it would help my faith if I could see a miracle. That would really help my faith. And then it would just be something I would come to expect. And God spoke back to me in that prayer time. And he said, Aaron, he said, the best thing that could ever happen to any of my people is for them to proclaim a miracle and me not do it. (laughs) I sat there a little confused and I said, well, God, I said, that sounds counterintuitive. And God responded and he said, Aaron, he said, the reason why I tell you that is because if you would believe that I can still do it when I don't, you would grow in your life great faith. If you can believe God for a miracle, lay hands on somebody and speak a miracle, and then God not do the miracle, but still the very next day pray again that God will do it, you're exercising, you're stretching your faith, and you're making it stronger in those moments. 
And so I started doing that. I've started preaching faith and I started preaching that God is a God of miracles. And this is this has been a very hard thing for me to preach because two years ago, I asked God for a miracle to save our son, uh, Levi, from a house fire. And I didn't get the miracle. And this has been a very personal journey for, for me and my wife. But I just went into the prayer room and I want spiritual territory. And I just said, God, even though you didn't, I still believe that you can. And God has just given us territory. And through management, through pushing and fighting and killing the Aachen in my life, and building up a memorial and saying, I'm never going back to some things. I'm going to live more consecrated and more holy than I've ever lived. By doing those things, I can feel the Holy Ghost even talking about this over this podcast. By doing these things, God began to give me faith. And this, uh, in the past month, last month, my wife and I witnessed 44 miracles between two services. And this just all started happening through managing ourselves, showing God, you can trust us. We, we're, we're trying to show you that we're trustworthy. And this has nothing to do with us doing the hard work. This has nothing to do with us living more holy. None of, the, none of this should ever reflect on us. And you should never look at, at anyone as great people. You should look at people who as God has used, is, is manifesting himself greatly through them. People aren't great God is. And when you see people doing great things, it's because they have managed themselves and they've given God room to work greatly through them. So I'm not saying any of this to pin a badge on myself, but I can testify through management, through doing the hard work, by praying and fasting and pushing into new territory and obtaining new territory. God sees that he can trust you because you're doing the daily work. And then he starts pouring on you, anointing. He's trusting you with his anointing. He's trusting you with his glory. He's trusting you with his name. He's trusting you with faith and miracles. He's trusting you. And I like what Brother uh, brother Herod said in that podcast. He referenced Brother, I um, uh, can't think of his name right now. But he said that if you try to take the fall for God not performing a miracle, then you're really telling God that you'll take the credit for when he does. And that is, that's management. <laughs> that's, that's showing God's management. And that's, that's where I've come to the point where I just, I don't really care what people think. If God doesn't perform a miracle, that's his business. It has nothing to do. And I'm not going to be embarrassed when he doesn't. I'm just going to look at them and say, that's up to God. I still have faith. I still believe he can. But if he didn't, let's go, go to prayer and ask him why. I'll go to prayer and ask him why, but you need to ask him why yourself in prayer. And uh, I'm going to wrap this podcast up, but I want to give a testimony. Uh, just this weekend, we were preaching somewhere, and uh, my wife was uh, she was dealing with some shoulder pain. Uh, first of all, it started she was dealing with some some elbow pain. You know, when you have kids and your body goes through all these changes, you start developing some pains and things. And my wife woke me up about 3 a.m. and uh, she was she just leaned over and I love her so much she just told me she goes babe I need you to pray for my elbows killing me and my wife had faith in my prayer <laughs> and I, I'm very very humbled by that and just in a half asleep non-emotional didn't feel the glory of God fall whatsoever I just whispered a, a very tired prayer and I said God I know who you are I know what you're capable of just do it and I rolled over and I went to sleep 
my wife uh, told me the next morning, she said, babe, I said, I have zero pain in my elbow. It was completely healed. But this past Sunday, Sunday night, uh, she in the past when she was pregnant with our, our third child, Ezra, she developed this pain in her shoulder and it came back Sunday night and she couldn't even lift her hand. She began to worry. She's like, how am I going to take care of Ezra uh, during church services with my shoulder hurting like this? And um, this was Sunday afternoon before Sunday evening service. And I said, well, let's pray. And I laid hands on her shoulder. I began to pray. Uh, she prayed with me and I said, God, I know who you are. I know what you're capable of. I've seen you do great things. God, just be who you are. You are healer. And um, we walked away and there was no healing. There was no miracle. But I refused to lose territory. <laughs> I said, God, I know who you are. I still believe you can do it. We went through the service that evening, preached. She was still having trouble. We were in the van driving home uh, late that evening. Um, and she told me, she said, babe, my shoulder's still hurting. And I laid hands on her again. We prayed. We believed. And about 10 minutes later, my wife looked at me and she scared me a little bit because she looked at me very funny. And I didn't know she had that look on her face like she had just seen a, an angel or something. And I looked at her kind of cross-eyed and I said, what? <laughs> and she looked at me and I, she didn't say a word. And I said, babe, what is it? You're kind of freaking me out right now. And I watched her. She lift her left, uh, her left arm above her head. And she, she looked at me. She goes, hold on. Wait a minute. And she lifted up her left arm a little bit higher. And she said, babe, there's zero pain in my arm, in my shoulder. And we looked at each other and we just said, thank you, God. Stubborn faith. Through this, we've obtained some spiritual territory. There is a level of faith, of miracles, of prophecy, of revelation and anointing that has been poured out on us because of how great and glorious God is and what he obtained on Calvary. We're just walking in what was entitled to us from the beginning. I told you all this because I want to encourage you. Manage yourself. Pray. Study. Seek God. Fast. Separate yourself. Do the work. Show that, you, that God can trust you. And let him give you what he has already obtained. I pray that if you have testimonies, Reach out to us. Let us know what God's doing in, in and through your life. We want to see his kingdom come. We want to see his glory expanding throughout the earth. And if we can have a small part in edifying your faith through a podcast, how amazing, how amazing would that be to have the glory of God pour out in your life through a podcast? That is our heartbeat. That is our intention. If God starts using you in a powerful way, through management, please reach out to us and let us know. We love you. We believe in your generation. We believe in every single person who listens to this. Thank you for tuning in. Again, reach out to us if God begins to use you because of this podcast. Reach out to us if this has edified and helped you. We love you. We look forward to putting out another podcast and hopefully you listening in. Until the next time, we'll talk to you later.